All right, well, uh, very grateful for those in the yellow hats. If you've seen any uh, disaster around, I know many of you have been a, a part of the teams that go out and help, but if you've seen these disasters, even on television, uh, you'll see the yellow shirts and yellow hats everywhere. And just grateful to God for this ministry that we have as North Carolina Baptists. And because of your generosity, um, we are able to give to NC Baptist and uh, the NCMO, North Carolina Missions Offering. Um, our state carves out so much that uh, goes directly towards that that and and it it allows these things to take place and so I'm very grateful for that I think back in 2018 when Hurricane Michael uh, made landfall I believe it was a category five is that right Uh, brother Jew Miss Jess I know it's here Um, category five when it made landfall and just devastated the panhandle of Florida and and many other areas as well and uh, we had the privilege of going over and actually helping Pastor Pastor, uh, Drew and Miss Jess uh, cut some trees out and, and help them along the way. But uh, one of the things that caught my attention is as you, as you drove in, you saw the yellow shirts and yellow hats everywhere, feeding people, uh, working chainsaws, just an incredible, incredible ministry. So grateful to God for that. Wanted to highlight them, as you know, the hurricane that recently hit in Florida. I actually came in to the area where, where I'm from. I, I affectionately say I'm from the armpit of Florida, so where Florida, you know, does this right here, and that's right where that hurricane um, hit. And, and our immediate families are okay, But man, I tell you, um, it looks very similar to what took place when Hurricane Michael hit uh, just a couple of years ago. Devastation across especially Live Oak, Madison, um, Perry, Florida, kind of that, that armpit area, so to speak. Uh, man, the, the hurricane did a, a ton of damage. One of our uh, good friends... As a matter of fact, these friends were at Okoe with us this past year. They were with a different church, but we worked alongside of of one another uh, this past year. Young family just got into a new home. Their home was absolutely destroyed uh, in this hurricane. And that's not, you know, it's not an isolated story. This is many people's story. And so, uh, as you know, being in North Carolina, we we understand this as well, where we live. They can cause so much damage. And just grateful uh, to God for you and your generosity, grateful for disaster relief, but also wanted this to be our subject for uh, our prayer time together today. So as we pray, uh, just praying for those who have been so impacted by the hurricane, but also praying for teams like disaster relief who are giving up uh, time you know many of them away from work away from their families to go and to serve others who are in need so let's spend a couple of minutes praying together and then we'll jump into the word of God let's pray every head bowed every eye closed God thank you um, Lord for teams like disaster relief and God I thank you especially for NC Baptist Lord I'm grateful for our state I'm grateful for the work uh, that, that they do and Lord as I think about the many hours that are put into organizing these types of things, I'm, I'm just exceedingly grateful. Um, it takes an army to make things like this happen. And because I think about our teams here at Apex Baptist, I think about Brother Craig Schomburg and the, uh, the, the others who join alongside of him and constantly serving and uh, eagerly awaiting uh, the call to go and help. And in that, God, I'm, I'm grateful. I rejoice in that. Uh, So, Lord, today, as we come before you as a church in prayer, Lord, we are asking that you'll be with those who have been incredibly uh, devastated by this storm, Uh, many just trying to figure out what their next steps need to look like. And, God, I I pray that the teams that you send, um, Lord, will provide great hope for these families. God, uh, the, the opportunities they have to share your truth, to pray with people, to feed them, um, to, to cut trees away, whatever needs to happen, God, I'm just uh, grateful 
that you're using them, and we just ask that you'll open doors, provide opportunities for the good news, uh, the gospel to be presented so that lives will be eternally uh, shifted and, and changed. Um, Lord, we come before you today recognizing that this is a great opportunity for us to uh, dive into your word and to be changed by you. And I pray that that very thing happens in our hearts and in our lives today. And we pray all of this in the powerful and mighty name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, good morning, uh, church. I know that this is a holiday weekend and it's been, I mean, the weather has just been absolutely gorgeous. So I'm thankful for that. I know you are as well. Um, Thank you for being here today as we continue in the book of Romans. So grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 29. Now, last week we dealt with one verse isolated by itself and uh, had a great time talking about Romans 8.28. I will repeat this once again. If you have missed any sermons along the way, make sure that you're catching up because everything gels together when we're looking at a book in its full context. And so uh, we, we need to understand every piece and how it, it molds and forms together. Today, we're going to look at verses 29 through the rest of the chapter. I know that sounds like a lot. It's actually not too terribly much. And, and we're going to uh, jump right in. In, uh, together. So if you found your place in God's Word, if you're willing and able, please stand in honor of reading God's Word. We're going to start in verse 29. If you're there this morning, will you say amen? amen? Awesome. Here we go. Verse 29 says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. We see this pattern of five terms that are, that are glorious terms that go together. for knowledge, predestination, called, justification, and glorification. Verse 31, you probably have heard this verse before. One of my favorites, as a matter of fact, chapter 8 is loaded with many of our favorite Bible passages, but verse 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Wow, potent verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. It goes on to say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? So as we recognize where we are in our gospel standing, we have been declared not guilty. No one could bring uh, charges against God's elect. The, The previous verse there that says, how will he not also graciously give us all things if he's already given his son? I'm the one, don't worry, I'm not a preacher, I'll sermon while you're standing. But just think about this. He's already given his son. How would he not graciously give us all things? Think of it this way. If you have a $50,000 diamond ring that was given to you, do you not think the person that gave you the $50,000 diamond ring would not grant you a box also? He'll give you all things. Continuing on, it is God who justifies, verse 34, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed, I love this, 
is interceding for us. Remember earlier in chapter 8, talked about how when we in our, in our own uh, humanness are not able to articulate our prayers before the Lord, it's the Spirit of God that intercedes on our behalf. Who shall, another favorite verse of ours, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anything? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or basic human needs, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he quotes an Old Testament passage in Psalm 44. It says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, here's another one that's a favorite. No, in all these things, so should, who, who can separate us from the love of God? Uh, nothing. In all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us check this one out 38 for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers verse 39 final verse nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord May God bless the reading and proclamation of his word today. You may be seated. Let's start by looking at verses 29 and 30. Now, these verses tie into verse 28. We know that verse 28 is true because of the sovereignty of God that we read about in verse 29 and verse 30. So think about this, the reality of God working all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that reality rings true whenever we understand full well 29 and 30. You see this goodness of God that is given to us. Remember, it's not, it doesn't always feel good. What happens to us is in and of itself not always good, but God can redeem, God can restore, he can use it all for ultimately our good and his glory. And brother and sister, hear this today. This is not a case of fate. This is not due to luck, nor is this due to our own moral superiority. No, it is solely ascribed to God's goodness and God's sovereign will. And so knowing that he can redeem and restore all things, even our mistakes, is due to his sovereignty. So from eternity past to eternity, he has guaranteed good for those for whom he has chosen. Now, here's what I know to be true, being uh, one who, you know, I got saved, didn't really have a huge church context growing up, got saved, went off to play baseball in college, and then I went to Bible college because I felt God leading me into ministry, wasn't sure what ministry meant. I've done enough Bible school now, going to college, going to seminary, and uh, getting a few degrees. I've done enough school now to know that there is heavy debate around certain words that we have read from God's Word just a few moments ago. Words like predestination, words like election, words like foreknowledge. Some people even say, well, I don't believe in those words words. Well, can I just be clear today? I reject that particular thought. Here's why. Because they are not made up terms in hopes to communicate a certain position. Hear me. They're Bible terms. 
We just read them in the Bible. So you can't say, I don't believe in those words because they're Bible words. They mean what they are. However, I want you to know that it is relational terminology. It's not meant to be placed there for us to debate and to have fear over. Here's what we need to know. God does have a plan for our life. And here's another thing we need to know. He's not making up that plan on the fly. God is not trying to craft this as he knows you, he sees you, and he sovereignly has a plan for you. Well, how do we know if we are his? If he knows us, how do we know that he knows us? How do we know that we are his? That's an incredible question. I think the simplest answer comes in the form of a question. Do you hear the call of God on your life in terms of are you, are you having this desire within you to pursue him? Do you have a desire to know him? Do you have a desire to turn from sin and to turn towards Christ? For if you do, we know the word of God rings true in that all who believe in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So are you a part of that all? Are you trusting in him? Are you believing in him? Now, we're going to get into the thick of the debate side of this next week as much as we can on a Sunday morning. We're even going to discuss theological viewpoints such as Calvinism and Arminianism and all the things that people kind of get reared up about, as, again, as much as we can. But for today, we are not going to camp out there. And let me just say, next week, we're not going to camp out long because I'm going to give you a sneak peek into next week's sermon. I think the enemy uses things like this to cause the church to stay inward and to debate and debate and debate and debate. All the while, we are not fulfilling the great commission that God has given us to fulfill, nor are we fulfilling the great commandment by loving God with all that we have and loving people. So that said, uh, we're going to deal with all the nuances that we possibly can next week because Romans 9 is truly straight talk about predestination. But for, for today, believer, I want us to see the beauty in the relational side of this terminology. Here's the beauty behind it. God knows you, and he's always known you. He has foreloved you. He has a plan for your life. You are, according to the text in verses 29 and 30, predestined to grow in your walk with Christ and to be conformed to his image. He has called you. He has justified you, if you're a believer here today, and one day you will be glorified where all is made right in your life and you'll be at perfect peace in a very real place called heaven. So think of it this way. God has a sovereign call on your life and if you believe are in the room, if you would only go back a little while in your life and you would think of when God rescued you and saved you, man, wouldn't that be great cause for praise? I mean, think about it for just a moment, right? Mr. Anthony, you know, you and I got a chance to reconnect after you traveled the world all, all summer. And uh, I think about your story. Isn't it amazing how God has saved you? Think about that, Jeff. You and I have had some conversations over Mexican food. I, I heard your testimony. When you think back of what God has done in your life, man, isn't it amazing to think of God's goodness, that he's known you and he's loved you and he's always known you and he's always loved you. Miss Julie, Think about Miss Julie. That's the reason Ms. Mr. Jeff is who he is. It's because of Miss Julie. 
I think about Ms. Julie. She was on the search committee that brought me here. We had a chance to hear her story and how God has changed her life. You know, the, the story goes on and on and on for all of us who are believers in this room. We think about how God has saved us. He's rescued us. He is sanctifying us, conforming us into his image. We are justified. No one can hold any charge against us. And it's all true because God spared nothing. He gave his own son so that all who would believe in him would not perish years ago. I had the great privilege of sharing the gospel with who is now my, my beautiful wife of almost 19 years. I had no idea what God's bigger story was, no idea what God's bigger plan was. But let me tell you, I didn't do anything to awaken her heart. No, not at all. God had given me a pr the privilege, the joy of sharing the gospel with her, but God had a plan in her life, and God was at work in her. And I got a front row seat, and it's amazing. I think of it a little bit deeper. I just happened to be her brother's roommate in college, and I just happened to meet her one weekend when I went home with him. And, you know, that old girl that I really thought I was going to marry, well, that just happened not to work out. And she happened to get somebody a whole lot better than me. Come on, somebody. And I happened to get somebody a whole lot better than her. I don't know if I said that right, but anyway, God had a sovereign plan in all of this and it's his sovereign will and this is the relational side of verse 29 and verse 30 knowing that he knows you he's foreloved you he has predestined you he is the one who justifies us he is the one who sanctifies us he's the one who calls us and he's the one who one day will allow us to be glorified because he is risen from the dead come on church this should cause his people not to begrudgingly sit back and be frustrated over this doctrine it should cause his people to say wow who is this god that he is mindful of me come on somebody all right verse 31 we got to continue on oh i love this verse what shall we say then to all these things what shall we say to all these things we're gonna talk about that in just a moment if god is for us who can be against us now a lot of people respond to the richness of these things verses 29 and 30 and really all of romans 8 that paul has been teaching us many people respond to this wrongly the truth is many acquiesce think of it this way to the doctrine of predestination almost belligerently I met a lot of people they're just mad about it like yes I believe in who God is and his sovereignty and his kingdomship but I'm just frustrated about it and, and that can show we can wear that because we often wear our emotions but man this is not how Paul responds when Paul thinks about the glory of God, the sovereignty of God, the bigness of God, how his God is in full control, when Paul thinks of his God, you know what he says? He says this in verse 31, right on the heels of this. What shall we say to all these things? Well, if God's for me, man, who can be against me? Remember what he said a bit earlier in Romans chapter 7? He said, man, there's this battle of flesh and spirit. And in my flesh, I'm doing the things that I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, I end up doing those. And, oh, wretched man that I am. But then he says, who is my deliverer? There is, it's Jesus. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he goes on with this beautiful text of saying, what shall we say to all these things? All of them that we see in Romans. Those that have a form of godliness but deny its power. Those who you share the gospel with but they reject you. The legalism, the persecution, the days of struggle within your own flesh the days of struggle within your own doubt and everything else in life Paul says what shall we say to these things well here's what he says if God's for me who can be against me 
And some of us today, we need to desperately hear this. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, we have someone in Christ who is granting us a marvelous peace and a marvelous comfort because we know that, hey, if he is for us, can't nobody in the world be against us. Now, we know that the world is against us. We know that the world does come against God's church, and there is hardship and struggle that you will face in this world. But take heart, because even in the midst of that, they can do nothing. Why? Because God is for you. God is for you. The winds may blow, but you're in a stable structure, brother and sister. When the hard shows up, you are safe and secure in the sovereign will of God. When the darts fly, they can bounce off of you. Why? Because our God is in control. Who can be against you when he is for you? Now, I've shared this illustration. It fits so well in this, in this verse, but I shared this illustration about when I was younger, uh, we all decided we was going to go to the golf course. And I was a high school kid. And, man, we had never played golf before. And me and my dad and my cousin and my brother, we said, let's go play golf. So we load up in the country, and we go to town to find a golf course. And we get on this golf course. We didn't dress right. We got in trouble. We're playing golf, man. I I was a baseball player, so I knew that I could swing. You know what I mean? I just didn't know where that thing was going to go. And, son, I swung. Boom, hit this ball, and it just took off. But it went like two fairways over to the right. So I'm cruising down there. They went, they went, you know, we played that army golf they talk about, left, right, left, right. So they're going different places, and I'm, I'm down on this fairway, and I see a ball, so I go up to it, and I pick it up. Well, there's a group of college guys who uh, are just right up the way at the University of Florida. You know, they're, they're the ones that they was just out there having a good time, and here I am, this high school kid. I pick up this ball, and I go to walk away, and they start yelling at me. They weren't just yelling at me. They was cussing me, man. They said, does that ball say so-and-so? And I was like, oh, yeah, it does. I had no idea what my golf ball said. And they said, well, that's our ball. I was like, oh, my bad. So I was like, no problem. Yeah, I still got it in my hand. And they continue on. You know, they've been cussing me. I'm already kind of frustrated with that. And they said, uh, they said, you need to pay attention before you, and then they had a lot of their own choice words, pick up a golf ball. And I looked at that ball. I said, oh, so you're saying this ball is y'all's. There was like four or five of them. And they said, yeah, it's ours had a pretty good arm back then I couldn't throw anything right now but I had a pretty good arm right back then I crow hopped that mug and I threw it into the swamp <laughs> and about the time I released here they come and I'm thinking Lord what do I do now you know like I don't know if I could take one of them much less four or five of them and I'm scared I'm nervous and I start kind of like walking back the other way because I didn't know what to do um, I didn't have a golf cart I was just walking they're coming at me all of a sudden, my dad hears the commotion over the hill. What's my dad, my brother, who's also kind of a rough guy, and my cousin, who's also kind of a rough guy, and they're all older than me. And, and so they start coming, and over the hill, my dad's the first one. Now, my dad, and he's got some health things now, but in his heyday, man, he's 6'5", 300 pounds. He did a lot of boxing when he was younger. I mean, he's just like a, a man's man. You know what I'm talking about? Like when I was young, he was the bouncer in the local bars because that's what he was good at. That's what he did. And so he, uh, he, he loved loved situations like this you know what I'm saying so so they start coming and my dad runs over the hill and he throws his glasses off he said do we got a problem and those boys are smarter than I thought they were because they they saw this big old man and then my brother and my cousin I turned around I was like yeah we got a problem you know I was the one that was scared trying to get away from him but all of a sudden I got some courage man because my dad is right there and I know that if he's for me hey Ain't none of y'all going to be against me. 
And that's what we need to know here in life. Sometimes we get discouraged and sometimes we want to run and we want to flee because life can be hard. But remember this truth, if God is for you, there ain't nobody in the world that can be against you. Yes, it's true, life can sting. Yes, hardships and tragedies can be relentless. Naysayers can oppose us, dwelling sin can oppose us, fear and anxiety can be in opposition to us. We do have an adversary that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. That list can go on and on and on. But the question that Paul asks here is what is all of that in comparison to the power of God? And the answer is absolutely nothing because if God is for us, who can be against us? Our ultimate destiny is in the hands of a holy, omnipotent, sovereign, righteous, loving, and personal God. And this brings cause for rejoicing, as R.C. Sproul says. You see, God is for us is actually the theme of the rest of this text in verses 32 through 39. That's exactly how it ends. He goes on to say that I did not spare my own son, but gave him up uh, so that, that, that you could have life. And how would this one not graciously grant all things? Then he continues on in verse 33. Who can bring any charge against you? As I said a few moments ago, he is the highest judge. No one can bring any charge against God's elect. Why? He is the one that justifies. Who can condemn? No one can condemn because Jesus was the one who bore that condemnation for us so that we could have life in him. Not only that, he is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Who can separate us from the love of God? And Paul points back to the quarters of time uh, who they would know well this text in Psalm 44. He points back to that and he says, even those from yesterday suffered for the sake of God. But know this, there is nothing in verse 37 that can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As John Chrysostom, Chrysostom, the early church father in the 5th century said, he said, if then the Spirit even maketh intercession for us, the, the groanings that cannot be uttered, and Christ died and intercedeth for us, and the Father spared not his own Son for thee, and elected thee, and justified thee, why be afraid anymore? Or why tremble when enjoying such great love and having such great interest taken in thee why be afraid anymore church why worry anymore church yes life is tough in no way am i trying to minimize the hard that you're going through but if he is for you no one can be against you and you are more than conquerors in him and there's nothing that can separate you from the love of god that is in christ jesus as one author rightly said the who of your salvation is greater than the who of your opposition come on somebody and God transforms the opposition into the servants of his good purpose. That means he can take even all the stuff that you're going through that's hard and he can use it to serve his good purpose somehow. Wow. This is the God that we serve. This is him. So remember, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's difficult in your life. I don't know the pains that you're enduring. But remember this, God knows you and he's always known you. If you're a believer here today, know that. He knows you and he's always known you and there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and if you're here today and you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus here's what I want you to know you are not here by mistake you are not listening to this sermon if you're listening live or you're listening later in the week you are not listening to this by mistake no it's very purposeful God knows you and he's always known you 
and he has a plan for your life and what he wants of you and what he wants of me is surrender what he wants of you and what he wants of me is to understand who we are in the context of who he is and to surrender all that we have to him you're not a mistake nor are you the mistakes you have made God can sovereignly use them all if you would come to him if you would trust in him you know we had the beautiful privilege of being able to really pour this into our precious middle daughter Karis uh, recently I know my, my wife just does such a great job with this but sometimes she struggles she has dyslexia and sometimes that can get the better of her and there's other things that she wrestles with and and and, and Dana was able just to look at her face to face and say in no way are you a mistake. God has made you perfectly the way that you are. Not only that, he has a plan, a good plan for you, and he's going to use all the struggles that you've had to fight for. He's going to use all of that somehow to do incredible things in and through your life. And when she was telling me she had the privilege of being able to do that with Karis earlier in the week, I thought to myself, isn't that what we need to know? All of us. I thought of it in light of this text, God's force. Who can be against us? We're more than conquerors. Nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Knowing this to be truth. Knowing this to be truth. That he's going to work all things together. What he wants of me. What he wants of you. Surrender. Here's my life, God. You've made me the way I am. And yes, I look around and I would have made this different. And I would have done this different. I wish I had with this person. I wish I didn't have with I. No. Take a deep breath. Say, man, nothing can separate me from the love of God, and God has a sovereign plan. He has foreloved me. He has predestined me. He has called me. He's the one who's justified me. One day I'm going to be glorified in him. Wow, who am I that God would use me in this life to accomplish his good purpose? God, here I am, all of me. Not pieces, not parts, not some, not even most. God, here's all of my life. May we surrender everything. To him. We're going to sing a closing song in just a moment about our need for Jesus. And my prayer is that we sing it with hearts of praise. If you're a believer in this room, this message is meant to be a message that causes God's people to praise. We've been playing that song. I think it's just entitled Praise. I'm not exactly sure who who sings it, all that kind of stuff. But man, we just play that song a lot. And I told Dana just yesterday, we played it in the truck and I was dancing and the car next to me was looking at me real funny and laughing at me. And I said, you know, this just gets me in a good mood because I have reason to praise. And you know, we, we all do as believers in this room. Once again, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, what a great opportunity for you to trust in him. You can be a part of our lake baptism that's coming up, be amazing. I would love to talk to you after the service if that's exactly where you are today. Let me pray for us and we'll sing this last song together. Father, thank you for your goodness, your kindness that's been displayed towards us. God, you have been so gracious and merciful. And God, as we uh, close this service today and sing this last song, I pray that you give us hearts of praise and adoration that's due your name. God, may we see that you are uh, an in-control God. You're an on-time God. You don't make mistakes. You're not making things up. As you go, we can trust you. Thank you for that truth today, God. You've made us the way we are. God, you're using every ounce of the way you've made us for your glory. God, do a work in our midst that can only be attributed to you. We pray this in the powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen.